We welcome you who are joining us by live stream today. This is March 14th, and we are in Isaiah 53 this morning. Isaiah 53 might be a familiar, I hope it's a familiar passage to you. You know, I was thinking that I have been preaching Easter messages and series since 1985, and that's a lot of them, but I don't think I've ever done an Easter series from Isaiah 53. So we're going to correct that this morning, and we're going to do a series of four messages from Isaiah 53, and the last one will be of the resurrection of Christ on the last three verses of, of this chapter. Now, to begin, I want you to do something a little unusual, and that is to hold your place there and go all the way with me to Acts chapter 8, where Isaiah 53 is very important in the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And I want to read some verses there in Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 26. Because Isaiah 53, uh, we need to recognize, is a prophecy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Some people don't believe that. Some liberal thinkers don't think that prophecy really uh, looked forward the way that we know that it did. But look at Acts chapter 8. And verse 26, Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south, along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, and he was reading... Isaiah the prophet. And then the spirit said to Philip, go and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. Notice now the place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb, or like a lamb, silent before her shearers, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation, for his life is taken from the earth? So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask thee, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. I want you to notice that because it tells us specifically that Isaiah 53 is a prophecy about the Lord Jesus Christ. The prophetic question is, are these Old Testament prophecies really prophecies? Do they really look forward and tell us about things in the future? After all, in Isaiah we have in chapter 7 verse 14 that a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Is that of the Lord Jesus Christ? We surely believe that it is. And in chapter 9, verse 6, Behold, a child is born, a son is given. Isn't that the Lord Jesus Christ? We, we talk about it at Christmas time. We surely believe that it is. But you see, this was the problem with the whole Jewish nation when Jesus came. They couldn't understand how Isaiah, 700 years earlier, could be talking about this man that was standing in front of them. W.E. Vine, a great uh, prophetic preacher, said Israel had in its unbelief 
failed to recognize what God had wrought in raising Christ from the dead. All that follows, he's speaking of Isaiah 53, is an acknowledgement to be made of the great facts concerning him when the nation is restored. Something interesting about Isaiah 53 that you ought to remember. It's a prophecy of the millennial reign of Christ. It's a prophecy of something that's yet in our future. A time when Israel will finally believe and will be converted. And they will be standing there with Christ having returned to the earth. And they'll be looking back on uh, his first coming. And they will say, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And then they will say, and with his stripes we are healed. And so it's an interesting thing in the book of Isaiah that this chapter falls where it does. Really, beginning in chapter 40 and going all the way through chapter 66, the second half of the book, is a prophecy of yet in our future when Jesus will return. But in those prophecies, we have uh, this understanding that he came the first time and died for our sins to make that reigning possible that will be yet in the future. Imagine that God, 700 years before Jesus ever came the first time, described his life, his sinless life, his death, burial, and resurrection, and it all came to pass as God had said. And not only that, but 2,700 years before that, He's prophesied of things yet in our future that will come to pass when Jesus returns. Well, we want to look at Isaiah 53. You have an outline before you. And we're going to begin just in the first three verses. This is made up, this chapter is made up of four stanzas, three verses each, which is why we'll use it in the next four weeks that lead up to Easter. And so notice these things that we find in these three verses. Number one, I call, I say, Jesus is God's report. What does verse one say? Who has believed our report? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Jesus becomes the subject of what God is reporting. But who has really believed that? Who believes that the miracles that Jesus did was this strong arm of God showing them that they should believe this report? The fact is, not very many people, when he came, really believed it. Now, notice what I have underneath this, that I want you to, to, go, to recognize a few other passages with me. First of all, he was God's servant. And you have to go back to chapter 52, and the last three verses, 13, 14, and 15. As a matter of fact, you might have a study Bible that has a heading that begins in chapter 52, verse 13, rather than in chapter 53, verse 1. And some people believe that that's the beginning of the whole section, and there are actually five stanzas to this passage, not just four. And it begins there with, Behold my servant. Behold my servant. You know, in, in this book of Isaiah, in chapter 42, uh, Isaiah said, Behold, the, my servant whom I uphold. This was the Lord Jesus Christ. Or in our chapter, verse 50, chapter 53 and verse 11, he calls him my righteous servant. Well, understand this, that when Jesus came from the throne of God to this earth, 
He came as the servant of the Father. He said, I do always those things which please the Father. And so when he came the first time, especially the Gospel of Mark, pictures him as the servant of Jehovah, the one who would do everything that God asked him to do, including dying for the sins of the world. He will come a second time, and he will be the servant of God that will reign on this earth and bring the righteousness of God to the earth. I want you to notice something interesting in chapter 52. First of all, in verse 14, this speaks of his first coming. Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. You see that word astonished? When Jesus came to die for the sins of the world, the world was astonished at that. How can this man be the Messiah? How can this man who submits himself to such punishment die for our sins? They were astonished at that. Now look at verse 15. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Now I stop here and say, you probably have a footnote in your Bible to the word sprinkle, although uh, almost all Bibles still have the word sprinkle, including the ESV. But you'll have a footnote that says something like, so shall he startle, or I would say, astonish many nations. It's the same Hebrew word or comes from the same uh, basis as the word astonished in verse 14. Now, here's what I'm saying. Isaiah is saying Jesus came the first time and they were astonished at him. But he will come the second time and he will astonish them by his glorious return. And they will be uh, amazed that this is the same one who died for their sins. And so... He was God's report because he was the servant. Secondly, and I have another reference to a New Testament passage because our verse, verse 1, who has believed this report, appears two times in the New Testament, once in John 12. And so in that passage, we find that he proved himself to be the one that came from God. John 12, 37 reads like this. Although he had done many signs before them, they did not believe in him that the word of Isaiah, the prophet, might be fulfilled, which he spoke. Lord, who has believed our report, to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And so Jesus came and he did miracles before the people. He did astonishing things. The arm of the Lord, the strong power of God was revealed in him, and they did not believe him. And here is John, the writer in, of the gospel, saying uh, this is a fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 53, verse 1. They didn't believe when they saw the miracles that he did. Well, the third thing I want you to notice is a statement in Romans 10, 16, where he was not believed. You know Romans 10, I hope. You know the book of Romans. There is something in that book that we call the Romans Road, where we start off in the early chapters uh, finding out all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And then we move on up to chapter 10, where we realize that if we believe in his death, burial, and resurrection, we'll be saved. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But Paul has to say of the Jewish people in verse 16, they have not all believed the report. Notice the word, uh, uh, obeyed the gospel, excuse me. For Isaiah the Lord says, who has believed our report? 
And so what we find is when Isaiah begins and says, who has believed our report, to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed, that his people did not believe him, his people did not believe the report, and even in our day, as the gospel is preached, people don't believe the report. I want to read one other verse to you, and that's in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. And I want you to listen to these words because they apply to you and me. Peter says, Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that should come to you, searching water, what manner of time, the Spirit of Christ who is in them, was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that should follow, which is what we're talking about in our passage, to them it was revealed that not to themselves, but unto us they were ministering the things which now have been, here's our word, reported to you through those who have preached the gospel unto you by the Holy Spirit sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. The angels even wanted to know what you and I know from the gospel or from the prophet Isaiah. And so it is our report too. And those Old Testament prophets were giving us the report that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the message that came down from the Father. But Isaiah is crying here, who has believed our report? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Well, secondly, I want you to notice as we move on to verse 2, that Jesus was a Jewish man. Notice this verse that says, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of a dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. When we shall see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. Well, we know who the he is now, don't we? Interesting that Isaiah would say in the middle of this, for he shall grow up. Well, who is he? It's the report. This is the Lord Jesus Christ, who was the message from God. So notice, first of all, I see these three things in this verse. First of all, he was a special child. He shall grow up before him. Let me ask you, who is him in this verse? Wouldn't it be God the Father? He, Jesus Christ, the Son, shall grow up before him, that is, God the Father. He was special to the Father. As a matter of fact, in that passage that I read to you from John chapter 12 was one of the few places in the Gospels where they heard the voice of God saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. God said that at his baptism uh, when he was baptized by John the Baptist and they heard this voice from heaven, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Peter, James, and John heard this on the Mount of Transfiguration when God said, This is my beloved Son, hear ye him. And so we know that before God he was a special child, though no, no one else might have known it and seen it. God's voice from heaven said, I'm proud of this boy. This is my son. He's sinless. And Peter will, label, will later say in his uh, letters, uh, we heard this voice when we were with him on the mountain. Uh, it was, a, it was a, an amazing thing. And so, to God, he was a special child. But notice, secondly, he was a very typical child. He grew up as a man. Notice these words. As a tender plant, 
as a root out of a dry ground. This speaks of his childhood. This speaks of the time that he spent on the earth when he was growing up in the carpenter's shop. You know, a, a root and a tender plant doesn't look like much. When you've planted a garden and you're hoping for fruit to come out of that garden, for a long time all you see are roots and stems. Uh, you just see something growing up. It's not full grown yet. It's not producing fruit yet. It's just coming that way. Isaiah, speaking of the early years of the Lord, growing up before the Father, speaks of him just as a root, just as a stem coming out of a dry ground. You may not see much in him yet, but there's a lot in him. Luke chapter 2, remember when Luke had finished describing his early childhood, said, The child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. What a great thing that is. Now, Israel wanted the full-grown tree. They wanted to see the whole thing. They wanted to see uh, everything from the first to the second coming all in this person. And they look at a child in the carpenter shop. They look at a man that looks just like them and no different, just a Jewish boy and a Jewish young man. Can you, you imagine at 12 years old that he goes before the scribes and the elders and they look at this boy who's saying such things as he's saying? And, and what did they say? Who is this child? You know, how, how can he say these kinds of things? Mary hid these things in her heart. Mary saw something there that other people couldn't see, of course, in her own son. But otherwise, he looked just like you and me. He looked like just like every other Jewish boy, just a root growing out of a dry ground. But I say thirdly, he was totally unique. And of course, you know that he was. And so in this last statement, uh, in verse 2, when we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. Now, I think, and I agree with most commentators here, we kind of have to read between the lines as we say it. You have to understand what Isaiah is saying here by giving us Isaiah 53. They will later admit he was the, wound, the one wounded for our transgressions. He was the one that was bruised for our inequities. We admit it, but back then we didn't know it. We didn't see the beauty. We didn't see the power of God. We didn't understand this arm of the Lord that was upon him. We just looked at him and said, we don't see anything beautiful here. Isn't it amazing that he could come and live a sinless life and do miracles demonstrate the arm of, of the Lord before them, and yet still they said, we see no beauty in him. We don't understand that at all. So they didn't realize what they were looking at. You know, an older writer that when I get all the other studying done, I like to go read what he has to say is old J. Vernon McGee. You know what he said? He said, the loveliest flower of humanity came from the driest spot and period of world's history out of a dry ground where there was no belief where there was no recognition you know not much grows out of a dry ground does it and here comes this root and this branch out of unbelief out of dry ground and this nation that should have known him didn't know him well he was God's report 
he was a Jewish man. But verse 3 begins the longer section, of course, of this whole chapter that we will look at as we go through it, that he was rejected of his own. So verse 3 says he is despised and rejected by men. Despised and rejected? What harsh words for such a beautiful person who came from God, from God's report and God's strong arm. Remember John 1? He was in the world. The world was made by him, and the world knew him not. I mean, the whole world that he created crucified him too. He came unto his own. That would be his own people, his, uh, the, the Jewish people. And they said, crucify him. We'll not have this man to reign over us. He was despised and rejected. When you think about it, that, that is a, a terrible thing to be. And our verse says he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. A man of sorrows. Here's an interesting word here in this verse, and it's the word grief. You see the word grief. I'm reading the New King James here this morning. The word grief means a malady or literally a disease. A man of sorrows and acquainted with disease? How is that? He was not a sinner. Uh, he never contacted the, the sins of this world. It means that he came and identified with us who had disease. He came to us to heal us. How many times, uh, as a matter of fact, there, there's one phrase that somebody said, he was a confidant of disease. He would come to the leopard, and he would touch the leopard and heal them. No one would touch a leper. He would come to the pyre of a, dead, of a dead body. He would touch the dead body. No one would touch a dead body. You'd be unclean in Israel, and the dead would rise. He would touch the blinded eyes. He would stretch out the crooked arms. He did all of that because uh, he was a, a, acquainted with our grief. But I see also he's a man of sorrows. There's that great passage I think I read to you last week uh, about Lazarus. He comes to Lazarus and he raises him from the dead, but he sees all the unbelief around him, and it grieved him in his soul to see the unbelief in what he was doing. A man of sorrows that way, acquainted with the grief of this world. And so he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And I say secondly there, he was viewed as shocking. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. I mean, this is, this is a, a, a picture of somebody who sees something that's startling and, and, and turns their face and say, I don't want to look at that. Isn't that amazing? We hid, as it were, our faces. Notice the past tense. Notice the Jews one day when they're converted, looking back on their rejection of Messiah and saying this those that are converted in that day. Shocking to them. William Kelly, another great prophetic writer, said, the humiliation of Messiah ran so counter to every preconceived thought and wish of the Jew that one can readily understand the advantage which Satan found in urging on the people, leaders and all, to their fatal unbelief and rejection of him. You can see Satan taking a, a advantage of this, can't you? Ah, they're not believing. Let's crucify him. Let's put him away. And they did because they were shocked at his, at, 
what he was. As I said, they wanted a full-grown tree. They wanted a reigning Messiah. They wanted everything that's going to come out of the first and second coming. They wanted it all here. But unless he died first for the sins of the world, unless he died for you and me, we would have no kingdom of God. We would have no future. We would have no heaven. We would be in hell. And so, uh, shocking as it may have been to people in those days, what a blessing it was. And so lastly, it says that he was despised and we did not esteem him. He was despised. The New King James in a verse in Hebrews 10, I, I want to read you a verse in Hebrews 10, 29, where you have this exact same expression about being despised. And listen to the, what the writer of Hebrews says here. How much sorer punishment suppose ye that he should be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing? Let me stop and say, when people reject the Lord Jesus Christ today, when they look at him today, they are despising him and saying that can't be a Messiah. That can't be someone who would rescue from me from my sin. I'm not accepting him. Well, the writer goes on to say, you have uh, uh, counted the blood of the covenant with which he was sanctified an unholy thing. And then I'm reading the older version here, and you have done despite to the spirit of grace. The Holy Spirit comes to you when you need a savior and he convicts you of your sin, and you say, no, I'll not have this man to reign over me either, then you've done despite, you've been spiteful, even to the Spirit of God and to the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet here in our verse, 700 years before Christ, Isaiah was saying he was despised and we esteemed him not. The Jews are saying we despised him. And my point is, are you despising him? Are you despising him by saying, no, I'll not have this man to reign over me? So here we are in the first three verses. Actually, the first six verses, because we backed up to the, the last three of chapter 52. And so let me go back to, to Philip and the first Ethiopian convert, if you will. Here was a man reading Isaiah 53. And he's reading Isaiah 53, and he says, I don't know what this means. He's speaking of somebody who's doing this, and, and he's not liked by people, and he's despised by some. I don't understand this. You know, maybe the world reads the Scripture and reads these things that to, to you and me, these things seem plain. But they read it and say, I don't understand. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, now run down there and stand next to that chariot and listen to him for a minute. Wouldn't you like the Holy Spirit to lead you that way <laughs> to, to people who don't know Christ? And he's standing there and he realizes that he's reading Isaiah 53. Philip knows this passage well. And, he, and Philip says to, to, here's this Gentile man who doesn't understand. He says, do you understand what you're reading? And the man says, throws up his hand and says, how do I understand unless somebody tells me? And you know the story. He comes up into the chariot. 
I don't, I don't think it's a picture, by the way, of this one man driving his own chariot and everything. He was, a, he was an important fellow from Ethiopia. He probably had drivers and soldiers and everybody else, and he's sitting in this carriage that's going along. He says, come up here and sit with me. Tell me. And it says he preached Jesus to him from this passage. Now, folks, what I'm saying is, first, there are a lot of people in this world who don't understand who Jesus is. There's a lot of people who would believe if someone would just tell them so they could understand what they're reading. And that falls to you and me. We are the ones that have to go with this message to the world. But maybe you're listening to this message this morning and you don't know the Lord Jesus is your Savior. Maybe you've had the same experience as this Ethiopian uh, who said, I, I just don't understand it. I read the Bible and it doesn't mean much to me. You know why? Because the Lord Jesus Christ hasn't become your Savior. The Holy Spirit hasn't come in and regenerated you and given you new life and new understanding. And so listen to the Word of God. Listen to the explanation. Understand that this one that Isaiah was speaking of is your Savior, and He did all of this for you to forgive you of your sins. Then they came to a place of water, and, and, and evidently Philip had talked a lot to him because uh, by the time they got uh, to where there was a river, and the, he looked over there and said, well, there's a lot of water. Can't you baptize me there? And Philip said what? I will if, if you believe what you're supposed to believe. And the Ethiopian said, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God then that's it. When you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You know, John 3.16 ends by saying, Whosoever believeth shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? I hope so. And do you know somebody who needs the Lord Jesus? Then explain the word to him, the scriptures to that person, and let them believe. I want you to stand now with me, if you will, as we have read these three verses and thought about what Isaiah is saying. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and let's ask his blessing on the time that we sing and our time of invitation this morning. Father, thank you so much for this passage, this great chapter in Isaiah that we have read so many times in our lives. Thank you, Father, for the message of it, that as Philip explained to the Ethiopian, uh, this is Jesus who died for us. And then understand, Father, as he did, that we are the sinners and we need his salvation in our lives. I pray, Father, that as your word is preached here and everywhere today, that many souls would understand that he really is our Savior and would receive him as their Savior. I pray that whoever hears uh, this message from the sound of my voice would do the same. So bless now in this time that we sing and we think about this and invite the Spirit to speak to our hearts. May you be glorified by it in Jesus' name. Amen.